Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Welcome to church on this beautiful morning. Turn, greet someone, let them know you're glad that they're here today. Um, Such an exciting time to be alive. So, uh, (laughs) I just realized I started off very excited because I'm excited. But my next statement is going to sound less exciting. How do we react to tough situations? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about something that I call supernatural optimism. But I want to look in Scripture, and if we can get the light on this, the plant, this here, that would be helpful. Um, I want to go to John 11, verse 1, and I'm going to read the story of Lazarus, uh, who was raised from the dead. You and I know the end of the story before we finish. But remember that the people who were living this out did not know exactly what would happen or how it would happen. This is what the Bible says in John 11, verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his, her sister Martha. This is Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one you love, their brother, is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. Now, I just want, if, if you were the disciples and you heard that someone was sick and Jesus responded, this sickness will not end in death, what would you expect? I mean, you would expect probably that Lazarus is going to recover. That Jesus knows that although everybody's worried, he's not going to die. The messenger who brought that message Remember, it wasn't like an email. Like, this is somebody had to travel over there to tell him what happened. Probably returned with those words. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. A lot of times when we uh, hear something, when we see God's promises, we create a story for how his promise is going to be fulfilled. Just like they did. They said, well, God promised that in the end, you know, that this would not end in death. Now, you and I know the story. Lazarus dies, but then he's raised from the dead. So the story does not end in death, but it does have death in the story. And they just didn't know that in advance. A lot of times we think to ourselves, okay, God has promised to to provide for my needs, Obviously, he's going to provide through the job I currently have. Obviously. I mean, if he's providing for my needs, this is the job. I was just talking to someone in the church here who explained to me they got let go from their job. They were having some health issues that were caused by the job. When they had to take time off to deal with those, they got let go. And I was so proud of of his response. He said, I'm out job hunting and there's so many jobs available and I'm getting multiple offers and I'm going to have a job that's going to be healthier for me. But how many of us would have said, oh, 
I thought God was going to provide, and now I lost my job. Do you remember the story of Naaman in the Bible? Naaman was a Syrian general who had contracted leprosy. And he had in his household a Jewish servant, possibly slave. And he was sick with what was an incurable disease at the time. And he heard from her that in um, Israel there was a prophet of God. And he could do miracles. And so he traveled internationally to go find the prophet of God so that he could be prayed for and he could be healed. And you guys remember the story? He shows up at the prophet's house. He knocks on the door. The prophet sends his servant who says, yeah, who's here? Oh, well, let me go see what he wants. He goes back. He talks to him. The prophet never even shows up at the door. He just sends his servant to say, he says, go dip in the Jordan seven times and you and you'll be healed. Now, on one hand, we would look at Naaman and say, wow, he, was, he had some significant confidence in what God was going to do through this man. He had faith to be healed. He came all the way across international borders. He went this way. He brought all kinds of, the Bible tells us he brought all kinds of money to pay with. I mean, he was just really expecting a miracle. And this is what the verse says, 2 Kings verse 5. Naaman gets all bent out of shape. And he plans to just drive straight home without a miracle. And he said this. But Naaman went away very angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman had a plan for how God was going to fulfill his promise. He said, I sure, surely I thought he would come out and he was going to do this whole thing and he was going to wave his hand and, and then that is when I would be healed. And we know the story that his servant actually convinced him. He says, you know, if he had told you to do some difficult thing, you would have done it. If he had asked you to do something that lined up with your expectation, you'd have done it. Why not do this easy thing that's outside? And he went and he was healed. But how close was he to missing out on God's promise? And he would, you know, it, it occurs to me that he would have gone back and said, God doesn't heal. Why? Because God didn't heal the way I expected it to come. Verse uh, 6 says, No, it is for the glory of God that's Son, that he may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So the messenger got back with the news, but Jesus stayed before he started the journey back. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples respond, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. So again, the disciples are looking at the situation based on past experience, and they're saying, if we go to Judea, last time we barely made it out with our lives. They were trying to kill us. If we go back there, won't, won't the same thing happen, but maybe this time we don't make it out? So often, we, it, it's natural, it's, it's, it's human nature to expect 
the future based on the past. And the disciples said, hey, they tried to stone you. Now, what's going to happen? We're going to get stoned. Verse 9 says, Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble. But they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went, with, went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus, in a way, told them, what to expect. He said Jesus knew that Lazarus had already died, but he was going to be raised from the dead. And so then he plainly told them. So they they misunderstood. And then he made it clear. He said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that me wait, we, that me, (laughs) that we may die with him. All right, what was Thomas expecting to happen? Thomas's expectation was based on the stoning that almost happened last time. Jesus says clearly, Lazarus is dead. We're going to raise him from the dead. He first, you know, said it metaphorically. They didn't get it. He cleared it up. He's like, look, he's dead. We're going to raise the dead. Come along. And still, Thomas is so stuck on what almost happened last time. But here's the thing. You got to give kudos to Thomas. Because he thought he was going to die, and he went anyway. Like He's like, all right, well, let's go. We'll all die together. <laughs> and he, he gets ready, and off they go. That's the same Thomas, by the way, that later in John 20, 24 is the we, we call him Doubting Thomas. When Jesus appeared after being crucified and raised from the dead, and he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So we realize that Thomas, this was a, a work in his life. Thomas was big on, if I see it, I'll believe it. In, later on, Jesus, when he did appear to Thomas, he told him, Jesus said, because you've seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not yet seen and have believed. So we go back to the story. And I'm, for one, I am glad that the disciples were regular people. That they did, they they made the same mistakes that I would have made. That they they looked at this and and they they were concerned. They were they were forecasting the, the, the outcome, not based on Jesus' promises, but based on the circumstances that they could see. And they were saying, well, you know, we almost got killed there last time. We're going back. We made it out once. We probably won't make it out again. Then John 11, verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him and, to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection, talking about at the very end when Jesus comes back and all the saints are resurrected. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. It's interesting that she came. Mary believed she also had a narrative that she had fit together. She believed that if Jesus had arrived before her brother died, everything would have been okay. I assume she may have even heard the message from that, the, the messenger coming back if he made it in time, where he said, this will not end in death. And she thought, great, he's going to come before he dies, and then it'll be okay. And then it didn't play out the way she expected. It didn't play out the way she believed it was going to. But I love what Martha says. She says, I know if you have been here that he wouldn't have died, but I also know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Then he goes to see Martha. It says, uh, verse 24, Martha answered, oh, excuse me, I got behind. Verse 27, uh, nope, verse 32. All right, here we go. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So again, second sister, same expectation. She believed that God could do it if God did it the way she expected. And then Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. And Jesus wept. I, I taught on this a while back, and there's a point that I want to touch on just a little off topic. Why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus weep? He wept because she was hurt. Why was she hurt? Because her brother died. Was her brother going to stay dead? No, he wasn't. Me personally, if I had been there, if I saw someone crying over a dead brother that I knew was going to be alive in an hour, I feel like I probably would just try to talk them out of being sad. Don't worry about it. Hey, he's going to be alive again. But Jesus didn't try to talk her out of the pain she felt, even though the pain was coming from something that was temporary. Jesus cared so deeply for the pain she felt he empathized so deeply with the pain she had that he cried. Not because Lazarus was dead and wouldn't be back. Jesus already knew. He had told multiple people that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. We know Jesus knew Lazarus was going to be back. But he cared about how she felt. He empathized with how she felt. And I apply that to when, when we see someone who is hurt or frustrated or upset about something. And we think, well, you, you have it all wrong. That's not real. You're afraid of something that isn't going to happen. We think that we have to talk them out of it. But if Jesus was there, he would empathize with the pain that they feel. Even though he was on the verge 
of, of raising the brother from the dead, of solving the problem. It's not that he just empathized and just that was enough. Okay, you're, you're crying, I'm crying. We're all going to just have that moment. No, he cared so much about her pain. He empathized with her, but then he went on to solve the problem. Jesus wept is verse 35. Then we see the people around in verse 36. It says, when the Jews said, see how he loved him? They saw him crying and they said, wow, he really cared about that guy. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Again, everybody had the expectation that there was one way that God was going to solve this situation. He was going to get there before Lazarus died. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to his father and said, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet still wrapped with linens of, strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The, the, the victorious end came. Jesus' promise was fulfilled. It did not end in death, but it ended in life. But there are so many different reactions of the people there, and I want to look at those. Thomas had the pessimistic approach. He said, let's go and die together. Kudos for loyalty, but he just, he could not expect, he did not dare to expect God's promise to be fulfilled when it conflicted with the situation. Then Martha, she said, too bad God didn't do something else. Martha had what I would call like pseudo-faith or partial faith where she says, you know, I believe God can do something but only this way. And when it didn't happen the way she had predetermined in her mind it was going to go, she, she allowed herself to become discouraged. And then Mary's response is godly optimism where she said, God can still change this. Remember the story of David and Goliath? The Israelites are lined up. They're facing the Philistines. A giant comes out on behalf of the Philistines, begins to, to threaten and curse the Israelites. In 1 Samuel 17 is the story. It's in verse 11 that Goliath has come forward and said all of that. And the Bible says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They became dismayed. They began to envision a dead future. What did David do? When David came and heard those same words, he pictured a different outcome. It's interesting that oftentimes 
optimism is described or seen as, as ignoring reality. But that is not what it is. I like what uh, Billy Graham said. In, in the book, The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham, it says, optimism is not living in a fantasy world where nothing tragic ever happens. Vital optimism is a confidence that tragedy is not the last word. That the best is yet to come. Optimism is being able to acknowledge brutal realities and to point to an even greater reality that our experiences are not in vain, our responses are not futile, and our efforts are going to be worthwhile. But the leader who aspires to high effectiveness incorporates the positive. Sometimes bringing hope to a dispirited group is the most important thing a leader can do. An optimist... A supernatural, godly optimist is not someone who looks at every situation and denies the challenges, difficulties, or negative things that have happened. That's not what an optimist does. The centurion that came to Jesus in Matthew 8, 5, says when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came asking for help and said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. That was his intro. It doesn't look like he was denying reality. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve that you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, I truly, I tell you, for I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion who had the faith that Jesus praised didn't come denying reality. The centurion was simply confident that the reality that he currently saw didn't have to be the end result. He says, hey, I understand that you have authority and all you have to do is say to that sickness, leave and it will. His optimism didn't deny that there was anything wrong. He didn't pretend that nothing was going on. I've, I've seen people who, who mock faith, who mock faith-filled Christians and say, oh, you have this idea of, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I, I, I always think, well, does God want us sick, stupid, and poor? I, I don't think so. But I don't think you understand what it means to have godly optimism, a.k.a. faith. Faith doesn't say nothing bad can ever happen. Nothing bad has happened. Nothing bad is happening. No, faith says the story isn't over yet. I may have thought I knew how God was going to write the story, but when, when a chapter comes that we weren't expecting, don't be a Thomas. Thomas said, well, I wasn't expecting this chapter. I guess we're all going to die. But I'm in till the end. Let's go. I, I know some of us can see ourselves there. Where we say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm in. But it sure looks like I'm in for a rough ride. I'll die for it. All right. And, and I, I don't want to insult Thomas. But there was a better way. Optimism, godly optimism isn't a question of is the glass half full 
or is the glass half empty? That's what we think of. Optimists, they see a half, you know, five ounces in a 10-ounce cup, and they say, it's half, it's half full. And the pessimist looks at five ounces in a 10-ounce cup and says, oh, it's half empty. Godly optimism doesn't care how much water is in the cup. It knows who the faucet is. That is godly optimism. Whether there's five ounces, six ounces, four ounces, two ounces, or nine ounces, godly optimism says, I know who the faucet is, and I trust that whatever is needed will come. That is what godly optimism looks like. Peter, in John 4, 1 John 4, 4, says, You dear, dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is, that is godly optimism who looks at every situation and says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Peter walked on water because he recognized greater is he that is with me than even the laws of physics. But he, we know the story. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He began to sink. Jesus reached out, picked him up. I don't think that went exactly how Peter expected. But God was there. What gave David the confidence to face Goliath when the rest of the army was all afraid? What gave the centurion confidence and faith that Jesus could, would, and would heal his servant? It was their knowledge of God's character. If we look back at David's life, the Bible it shows us that David spent time in prayer and in worship with God when he was a shepherd. And he had seen the fulfillment of smaller promises. He had seen God's help when he was when his sheep were attacked by a lion. He had seen God's help when his sheep were attacked by a bear. And when his country was being attacked by a giant, he said, I know God's character. I see this situation. I don't, I don't project this situation's likely outcome based on the natural. I project this situation's outcome based on my knowledge of God's character. God's character and their knowledge of it. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says it this way. For we live by faith, not by sight. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Daniel 3.16 says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. Wow. They, they had an expectation. They had what we would call godly optimism. We don't know, we don't know what is going to happen but we expect that God will save us. But if he doesn't, no matter. Isaiah chapter 46.10 says, I make known the end 
from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. How many of you enjoy watching movies? How many of you ever get really nervous for the characters in your movie? Like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, but do you ever just, have you, have you ever had this thought, that actor is too well known to die in the first three minutes. I'm sure they're going to be okay. Right? Like, they wouldn't have paid that actor for this spot in the movie if they were going to be dead by the, you know, five minutes in. All right. Or, or you remember the trailer, and you're like, oh, I know they're going to be... All right. Or you just understand that, for the most part, we don't live in a society that loves tra Greek tragedies where everybody dies. We don't have a lot of movies, Romeo and Juliet style, where everybody's dead at the end. Most of the time, they're going to be okay. And so you don't know what's going to happen. Or if you've ever watched a movie with your kids and they get all nervous, and what do you say to them? Don't worry, they're going to be okay. Like, I'm telling you the end at the beginning so that you can enjoy the whole thing. Jesus says, I make known the end at the beginning. I know that you're going to be, all right, God's promise are true. Now, Man, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't look like it. Sometimes Lazarus is dead in the tomb and stinking. And we look at the situation. Sometimes we're in the situation and we say, surely I thought that God was going to come and he was going to wave his hand over the situation and it was going to turn out that way. And God says, hey, hold. No, 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 I can't do that. I expected a hand wave, and if I don't get a hand wave, I'm out of here. God says, hold on. I was thinking of examples of when, when we know that God has us, then we can go through the same ups and downs. We can watch the same movie as our kids. You know, I've watched television shows with the kids and they get so nervous about what's going to happen. We've had to turn it off because they're just, you know, listen, you get, or, or just fast forward to the end or just show them what's going to happen or something because they got so nervous. They didn't know what was going to happen. And I feel like sometimes we're like that where God has promised us and God's looking at the long game and he says, you're good. And we're just totally nervous. And he says, wait, what? I, I know the end from the beginning. Have peace. In, I'm trying to think when it was, but it was, it was before my kids were born, it was when I was single. I went into Cuba when, well, it still is, um, not legal. I have dual citizenship, by the way, so I can go to Cuba as a Mexican, and then I can go. So I went to Cuba during a time when you're, you're not supposed to minister not supposed to be there, um, smuggled Bibles and, and, and money for a Bible school and smuggled Bible school material in there. Like, it was a super awesome adventure. But we got arrested by the authorities. If I remember right, we were in Santa Clara. And so here I am. I've read the book by Wormbrand where he was arrested in Cuba and tortured for years got arrested along with another group of, of, of Mexican Bible school students that were there, and they took us to the jail. There was a group of like eight of us, and they took us to the jail, and they start going through one by one 
you know, interviewing us. And uh, one of the other guys and I were there, and we started singing praise and worship songs, and the other Bible school students that were with us were scared. Scared is an understatement for how, I mean, they're just like knees knocking together. They're just like, you know, they weren't expecting to be arrested. And I remember just being at so much peace. And I remember them asking, how, how come? You know, and I just, I just remember, because I don't know what the end of the story is, but I know who wrote the story, and I know that I'm good. Like, I honestly expect to get out of this, but if I don't, I know God's working something through it that I'm still going to be glad that took place. Like, I know this isn't the moment I was excited about, but I, I, I know. And was able to just ride through that situation. It ended up, you know, in the end, it really wasn't that big a deal. They quizzed every single one of us. Fortunately, they had not grabbed us actually preaching. They had just grabbed us walking into a church. And so they didn't have, you know, the full evidence they needed to, to really throw the book at us. And remember, this is what the policeman said. He let us go. He said, go to the beach. Quit going, don't go anywhere, just go to the beach. Because Cuba has beautiful beaches and that's what they, their tourism money comes from. So he's just like, go, go spend money at the beach. Quit going to churches. We went to more churches. <laughs> My point is that there is a peace that comes when we have supernatural optimism. Optimism that trusts that even though I don't know what is happening, what this isn't the way I expected the story to go, but I don't lose hope. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Interesting, it doesn't say, and the righteous never fall. It says they fall, even seven times, but they get back up again. Jesus and his disciples faced 5,000 hungry people. They faced taxes due with no money to pay them. The disciples had seen challenging situations, and over and over, God came through. When our bank account is low, we remember Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 9.8 that says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having an all-sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. When your child is rebelling, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Notice it didn't say, and at no point will he ever depart. It says, when he was old, have I put God's word there? When our health is failing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love. 1 Peter 2, 4. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What is godly optimism? What is faith? It's looking at the situation even when the situation isn't what we planned for. 
and saying, but he who promised is faithful. He who promised faith. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be affrighted and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Where is God with you? Us? Everywhere. Everywhere. The Bible says we go to the heights, we go to the depths in, in every situation. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe? And it's, it's easy. It's easy when the narrative goes the way we expected. When the, the healing evangelist comes and waves his hand over the spot and it happens just the way that we were expecting it to. But what about when we face challenges that weren't in our narrative, weren't in the expectation we had. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. The Bible says guard your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. We are tasked with guarding our heart, keeping that pessimism, that expectation based upon not God's promises, but the situation, the past, the statistics, the patterns, the, the whatever. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It is my prayer that we as a church would be filled with faith and godly optimism. Not, an, not a ridiculous blindness to anything that is less than ideal, that is, that is not what faith is. And anybody who has led us to think that being a Christian means not you know, pretending nothing has ever gone wrong, that's not what that is. Faith is recognizing that God's promises are still at work in every situation and not expecting that when we see the difficult situations that that is the way the story will end. Jesus said, this, story, this will not end in death. But then there was death. And so many of the people in that story were ready to just say, oh God, you could have. I wish you would have. If only you had. Man. But we want to be like Mary. Who says, yeah, I, th I thought you were going to do that. But even now I know. That you can do anything. That whatever you ask for will be done. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would stir in us supernatural optimism, supernatural confidence in you. We, I ask that you would help us to see and recognize your character in our lives, in the lives of others, in your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us to know you 
to a degree that we expect your character to be walked out in our lives. That when situations come that aren't in the narrative we asked for, that we are confident that this is not the end of the story. I just thank you for every person here. I thank you for the purposes that you have for them. I rebuke dismay, discouragement. I rebuke every attack of the enemy against the plans and purposes that you have for everyone in this place. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you know that God has forgiven your sins, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven, I want to ask you to raise your hand. God's word says, know that you have salvation. If you look at that and you say, it's funny, how do they know? I hope, but I don't know. The Bible says you can know. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. That means you're forgiven from your sin. No longer separated from God. Both here on earth and in eternity. If you want that certainty, if you're watching today or listening today and you would like that certainty, I invite you to answer this as well. With every eye closed, if you say, I want that confidence, I want to do what that scripture said, I want to confess him as Lord and believe in my heart and be forgiven of my sins, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now and we'll pray together. I see a hand and I know there may be some of you there. Let's pray together. Say, dear God, I believe that you forgive me, that Jesus died and rose from the dead so I could be forgiven. I accept that gift and I make you the Lord of my life. I choose to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.